Hello and welcome to At The Source. I'm Alex and this is Karis. This is a podcast about food stories. We love talking about food. And eating it. And now we're on a mission to record and share interesting food stories from people all over the UK and beyond. Join us as we explore food in all its glory. Welcome to At The Source. We're in Leicester chatting with Liam Watson from the Pop-Up Smokehouse. If you're a local here and enjoy your food, you've probably heard of it. And if you've not, you've missed out. We first met in 2013 when we both worked for the Orange Tree Group. And as one of the group's head chefs, Liam was able to set up the smokehouse above one of their bars in Braunston Gate. From that first night, I was hooked on the flavours of Southern American low and slow smoked meats and have been Liam's biggest fan ever since. After a four-year hiatus, Liam and his team relaunched last year with a series of pop-ups. Lester hadn't forgotten them and each one sold out within days. So we're here today to talk about teaching yourself a passion and taking a leap into the unknown. Thank you for joining us, Liam. My pleasure. Lovely. It's exciting to be here. So um, we start all of our podcasts with one question. Um, and the question is, what is your first memory of food? Yeah, mine goes back uh, basically when I used to play football as a kid on a Sunday. So uh, my dad coached my team. So me and him uh, would, would go out. Sunday morning, uh, and 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 play the game that we were wherever wherever that was. Now my mum was the most amazing cook every time, and it's not like I'm going to sit here and pretend that I used to cook with her or developed any sort of passion for food from there, other than um, a mild amount of greed as a child. <laughs> um, but yeah, mum used to come to the games for a little while, but then she stopped doing that because um, bless her, she's got a little bit of a, a, a temper, an overprotective temper. And after she attacked a man with a biro on one occasion, she <laughs> stopped. She stopped coming. So he deserved it. That was fine. <laughs> Probably for the best that she stopped. Going. At that stage, yes. Yeah, or she it was, was banned. <laughs> there was there was a polite discussion around <laughs> that. Technically, the club was quite um, was quite formal about this sort of thing. There would have been some form of like mild disciplinary kangaroo court sort of thing. <laughs> so there was just a polite word of it's best if she just takes a break, and then that break became a bit of a habit. But anyway, she would stay at home, and so by the time I um, came home, Sunday roast would be somewhere along the lines of being ready, depending on how long the match went on or where we were coming from. Uh, and my house used to have a. Um, so the house, and then there's a little uh, gateway down the side to the back door that we used to use uh, as as the main entrance. And so, as I as I walked into that gateway, the the extract from the kitchen used to pump into that mm. space. So that was depending on where she was in the in the process, the smell of roast, whatever it was, coming through the um, coming through that into the alleyway, and that would fill that. And as soon as I opened the door, just the strongest smell, and I could tell as soon as I walked through how close dinner was so if I walked through and I could still smell really strong roast meats flavour that mean, that meant beef still in the oven we've got a couple of hours you might as well chill out and do something else if I could smell um, if I could smell hot oil that's Yorkshire's are about to go in we're only 20 minutes away great yes so that was um, yeah and, and that for me every and still now so like as a chef I've worked probably 90% of the Sundays for the last sort of 10 years and it still means that Sunday's my favourite day to have off. It's still, there is no, for me, no better way for me to chill out on a Sunday than Sunday, my new job's the only day that I turn the phone off. And it, yeah, the only, there's no, nothing else that chills me out more than either making Sunday roast at home or going out for Sunday roast. And nothing else really, there's no Sunday that's quite right 
without it. Yeah, it just doesn't feel the same. Doesn't matter. Like every now and then, I'd come home uh, in that childhood time, and Mum had the nerve to suggest we should have a barbecue, and it was too hot for Sunday roast. So you think it's never too hot for Sunday roast? Without a doubt. I, it could be the hottest day of the year. In fact, last year, my girlfriend, um, it was been one of the hottest days of the year, and it was probably my most hungover day of the year. <laughs> and I, I still managed to get up, and halfway through that roast, I knew it was a bad idea, but didn't regret it for a second. It, yeah, in no stage is that a, a problem to me, or is there ever too much Sunday roast? So the whole full joint for two people, I really don't care. It's, it's... What would be your ultimate Sunday roast? So um, this isn't on the list of questions, but I'm no, just throwing it to. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, for me, it starts with roast pork, and I don't mind too much which cut. Crackling? That's the entire reason well, the roast why pork would you is have that, roast yeah. pork? Sorry, guys. Otherwise, <laughs> what kind of question is that? <laughs> Otherwise, we're on to rib of beef and things like that, but as soon as we're... Yeah, for me, it's, it's the crackling in the middle of the table, which, mm. I, yeah, I, I could sit and eat until mm. I make myself bad quite happily and I have no no qualms with um, not removing the, the layer of fat underneath mm. all of that for me stays on in fact mum just used to um, pull the pull the crackling off as one sheet smash it into a few pieces and, and not like I say we didn't worry about the fact there was still the the fat dripping from the sides and things like that that's just that was just part of it can you tell us just briefly why you decided to become a chef um, I again I'm not going to pretend that this was any sort of like childhood passion for food or anything like that I took a job in a kitchen when I was 17 uh, to pass the time on while I was I'd agreed I knew I was going to go to uni but I just delayed that for a year and I think in my head I was going to do this um, do, the, do, the, do the gap year thing but I was never quite brave enough at that age and yeah I took a job in a kitchen and I won't name the pub but it was an appalling kitchen uh, that had uh, more microwaves than frying pans. Oh, no. Literally had one frying pan in the kitchen uh, that was exclusively used to fry eggs. And then, having a quick count up, I think we were on 12 or 13 microwaves. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That would have turned me off being a chef. Uh, but it, yeah. it certainly wasn't um, anything that inspired any sort of food passion at that stage, but it was, it was the atmosphere around the kitchen and it was... I think I'd stopped sort of playing football at that stage and there's a there's a really there's a really strong link between the chefs I know that are very good in very good in service and the guys who used to play sport in some manner, that competitiveness, that knowing that it doesn't matter how busy it is or how under the cost you are, it's, it's just about moving through. But I think it's teamwork too. Without a doubt, yes, and knowing that you've you've got through the end of um, an amount of covers that everyone has never done before, or has felt that, that shouldn't be that shouldn't be doable with the amount of people that you've got on, or mm. whatever. And as soon as we sort of, uh, as soon as I sort of got in the kitchen, remember that scene at the start of Wolf of Wall Street where he talks about the sound of money, mm. and he starts talking about if you want to hear what money sounds like, it's fuck this shit, that, and all of that. Mm. It's the exact same when you sort of walk into a kitchen and it instantly sort of clicks with you. Um, yes, everyone's sort of swearing at each other. Yes, there's a lot of like bravado, and um, there's an awful lot of. Kind of expectation sounds, kind of sounds like adrenaline too mm, absolutely without a doubt yeah, uh, yeah I've, every chef goes through this point where they're like oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore and all that sort of thing mm-hmm. with the long hours and the long nights but and I certainly went through my fair share of that all the time but it was Saturday nights that 
you know, certainly, for example, when we did the White Peacock, which was a fine dining place in Leicester, we, it was it was Saturday night that really kept me in the job for as long as it did. It was it was the building to the week, and then it was every Saturday night was trying to cram one more cover, and so we set a record. Mm. And every time we did that, that was yeah, it's it's, it's that build, it's the adrenaline of um, of, the, of the busy service, and it's that that I, I really enjoyed. That I found that I really enjoyed. I knew full well that once um, after a couple of shifts. I wasn't necessarily thinking career at that stage, but I was like, okay, this is the, this, the atmosphere around yeah. here is all right. It took me a little while before I started to develop any interest in, or any real interest in food and standards and service and the whole, the whole package that is the um, hospitality and thinking about how you put together an experience that customers want. Yeah. Um, but after about six months of and I was progressing through quite quickly there. I was running um, services and evenings and weekends within about three months, and that was I mean, that was just because of the, the lack of mm. requirements on the cooking skill in that establishment. But it was only it was within three months I'd sort of gone. If I'm going to keep doing this, it's not going to be a place like this. It's not going to be um, under chefs. I mean, the chef there was doing a perfectly reasonable job, but you had to drive. It was, it, was, you... it was depressing seeing what. It, being in that environment had done to him mm. um, and yeah you, you could I, I certainly knew if there was going to be any future in it it was going to you, I was going to have to take more of an interest and stuff around the the drive and the demand to serve better food and what made the front of house work and not work or how how we link in food to or link in menus to the front of house and how they work mm. All of that sort of developed from that point where I just made that decision and went, no, okay, we're not going to do. I'm not going to do this anymore. We're going to we're going to find out how to actually actually be good at this. It can be better. Yes, yeah, it's it really interesting. It's really interesting to hear that you, as a chef, have quite a holistic view of of the entire experience, mm. which is um, probably quite a nice route into bringing this round to the. Smokehouse, because that in, involves you being the chef and making a lot of the decisions on everything, but not just the, the food that you're serving and the way that you're doing that, but how that fits into the entire experience. So for a bit of background for the listeners, Liam and I worked together for the Orange Tree Group, which I mentioned in the intro. At that time, there was a bar available in yeah, Leicester. the old O bar. The old O bar. And basically, the owners at that time wanted something um, to go in that upstairs space and Liam you pitched the idea of the smokehouse yeah I mean it was about I can't remember the year now is it 2013 2013 yeah it was October of 2013 and I had just come back into the company Um, and I I don't even think I was full time employed at that stage I was a spare spare part (laughs) just kicking kicking about and helping out and helping out and the old owners sat me down and just said you know the O-Bar used to be it used to make it paid for three individual sites and it was set outside of the city centre in what was this in really cool and I think every every town has this sort of just set out from the main trip and everyone's independent and interesting um, and for, for Leicester it was Braunston Gate at the time or you know for two or three years previous to that and that that had dwindled away although the investment in the city had gone into the uh, into the new shopping centre and bringing in and all of the council's efforts were focused on bringing in large branded businesses. Carlucci's turned up and a few other 
people that dragged all of the investment into the city centre and left the independents in Leicester really struggling at the time. And it's, thankfully, it's just started to turn that corner of the council of, of, of either they consider it mission accomplished or they've, they've changed tact. One of those two has meant that independent businesses are getting a little bit more support. Mm. But at that point, a lot, of, um, a lot of operators were getting left behind and the O-Bar was one of them. Um, and yes, they had a space upstairs which was suitable for about 45, I think we managed to squeeze 45 in. Um, and a kitchen that was smaller than the office we're in now, which I appreciate people can't see, but well, <laughs> yeah, five metres squared, absolute, absolute max. Mm. Um, and we were just asked, we were just asked, we don't care what goes up there, but it must be um, interesting enough to drag people out of the city centre. It cannot be anything that you find in the city centre. And I think one of the boss, one of the bosses cited a, um, a, a crepes restaurant that he'd been to two weeks before. And, Sorry? Uh, like a pancake restaurant. Oh, a crepe restaurant. Yeah, That's crepe, what you like, say. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. We could have been having a very different conversation now. Thank goodness. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. And you came up with... You came up the with smokehouse, the, the yeah, smokehouse. Yeah, smokehouse. I was given a week to go away and think of some things in the smokehouse. The idea of doing a smokehouse, which had just kicked off in London at this point, there was nothing else. I think there, I think um, I think Reds might have been in Nottingham. In fact, they must have been because I'm sure we went there to do our to do our research beforehand. Um, but aside from that, there was nothing else around even close to it. And that that idea occurred within an hour of of that meeting. And I spent the rest of the week trying to come up with two or three other ideas that rivaled it. So I didn't go to that meeting then the next meeting with one thing and it gets shot down and did you also know that if you suggested it you'd have to do it <laughs> that was made very clear <laughs> um, I, you know and it was it was a strange one because they, they said go down go down and have a look uh, see what you think see what you think can be done in the space and the space was very typically uh, the Leicester people listening from Leicester will know that Less, uh, the orange tree was ramshackled and it was they they used the term shabby sheep but it was getting to the point of being right <laughs> on that edge and um, and so an obar was the absolute like it absolutely typified that so walking around it couldn't be anything too too high end and you looked in the kitchen and there was essentially a domestic kitchen so every, everything led us towards something that had to be simple and homely and warming and generous mm. So that all fitted in with the smokehouse idea that already already came, and we had sort of you know set an operation. I mean, to, I think what highlighted to me was or highlighted what the scale of what we had to do. The the general manager at the time, Lauren, was was great. had all had all of the right attitudes to go with it. Perhaps the team below her were very much focused on the on the on the wet side of things, and you know if you're at Obi, it was a party bar. So yeah. Mm. So you um, you looked up this kind of quite new crazy yeah. UK you had no idea at that point that it was going to kind of become your lifelong passion and kind of Didn't guide you forward baby, no. um, so how did you go from you pitched it the owners of the company went for your idea straight away and then you had to do a lot of research yeah it's um and it wasn't that easy to find at the time it's not like we had the, the amount of cookbooks the amount of interest that were out now. I think there was um, there was a few places in London, but even then, you had to be in the know to 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 be able to get at them. And yeah, we um, as we sort of realised how much work needs doing. I put together a menu that I I thought that's what I 
I think a, a sort of a, a smokehouse version would be. And that, so the, the directors took a look and said, just run this by a couple of the other chefs in the company who we discussed before were far more qualified than I was in this type of food and was roundly assured that that's not what it should be. And this is because you didn't want to put chips on the menu, right? There was well, it wasn't so much that. I mean, look, we'd have put chips on the menu. We wouldn't have put chips in the in the in the version that it was. I think in the smokehouse as it developed, we'd have only done something along the lines of chips and dripping and and, mm. and done something like that. But I'd have quite happily put them on. Um, but we we physically couldn't. We didn't have an extract. The the old obar was made of wood. Essentially, it would have gone up in in seconds. There's no way that we have got through any inspection. Mm. So. We, did, we just didn't have that option and that actually formed a lot of the creativity around the smokehouse was that what we were forced into and the for, and the, the restrictions in that kitchen meant that yeah we, did, we couldn't put any fried options on it just, everything had to be pan work and so Alex talks about this or has mentioned it a number of times but apparently that's I guess how you had to have not chips but mash Oh, the smokehouse smash. It is strange for all of the work that we put in, you know, we in, every beef brisket took about 18 hours to get to the table and we have received more credit for mash, mac and cheese and sticky toffee pudding over the, sticky toffee over pudding. the last five years. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't tell you that, um, and Alex very kindly helps me out with some of the marketing. Um, and I say helps me out, she pretty much does it because it, 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 it goes off my radar a little bit but in terms of reaction when we first um, reopened I think we got more we must have had more um, more more comments and reactions to things like the mash than we did the meats almost the nostalgia factor I think is um, so the smokehouse we're going a bit of a roundabout way here but the smokehouse ran at the O-Bar for several years what was a pop-up became a permanent Permanent. and was super super successful and then the O-Bar was no more so the smokehouse disappeared and then last year after four years out you relaunched on your own yes and within kind of a day each the Leicester Mercury were picked up on it local reviewers and they sold out and the things that people were talking about that they hadn't forgotten was the mash and the eight-hour St. Louis smoke ribs. Yeah. So, yeah, we, like, we were forced into um, thinking around other ways, the, the, the ways that took a little bit more effort and a little bit more thought, um, and it, it forces into not into not putting in things that we just couldn't have done in that kitchen. And so, yes, it's things like chips or the certain fried goods that we just would have been, you know, twenty-five. the first 25% of the menu... Mm. For ease's sake, and just what you know, ultimately people will have bought on easy sellers. All of those things were not available to us, so we had to take a few little bits of inspiration from other places. And that mash essentially stemmed from um, Pitcu. And in the in the early days, we were shamelessly ripping off um, Pitcu. My knowledge base and the company knowledge base wasn't at the stage where it could probably where we could adapt it so much. It was always going to be slightly different because we didn't have the same availability of the craft beers that were around at the time. We didn't have the same knowledge as those guys, so we had to be a touch more generic than those guys. We didn't have the same capability with the um, with their smoke compared to ours. It just wasn't going to. We weren't going to be able to ever replicate it. So by the time we launched, it did feel individual. But yeah, we had to. 
you know, when we did when we took those influences, they they were by far and away the biggest one. And they used to do a mash that when we were sat down. I don't know if you went to the old Pitku restaurant, tiny little corner shop that they. Um, that they'd redone and so you had a, a small area upstairs and a very small area downstairs we were sat downstairs in this dingy little basement that looked similar to um, the other bar in a way uh, the upstairs dining room just without windows um, and yeah they served this, this little bit of mash that they that they'd stuffed with uh, they'd stuffed with bone marrow uh. and then and then dressed with the gravy on top in much the same way that we used to um, just yeah, and I I remember digging into it and absolutely loving it and being blown away and was kind of like right, well, well nobody in Leicester has even seen anything like this. And I left the first time we went. I think we visited three times in our research. four weeks four weeks research and showing various members of the company various things. And so the first time it was just me and one of the directors and we just sat there and went yeah this is this is spot on. And by the time that we went back with the rest of the management team and all of the central team it. The bone marrow just split people down the middle, which I was baffled by. It was one of those things that was, "What are you talking about?" But a couple of people nearly retching into the restaurant. It wasn't, yeah. Sorry, I. I was find that baffling, but they weren't. Um, they certainly weren't sold. And whilst we knew that we couldn't be, um, that we had to be individual, we knew that we couldn't be that quite that divisive. Um, so all of a sudden, the idea of the bone marrow went out of the window. We had to find ways of of playing around and it's one of those things we've got an awful lot of credit for the mash but there was no secret to it other than loading it with more cream and butter than anybody else was doing <laughs> that's that's the answer to everything isn't yes. it yeah. uh, well I thought so but apparently it seemed revolutionary at the time but um, <laughs> and yeah far more than than the actual flavour of it I think it was far more about the um, the environment that we created that meant that that as much as we yeah as much as we, we didn't do I didn't think we did anything to too revolutionary with it. We just, like I say, we, we, we loaded it with cream and butter. We we dressed it with with Jew at, at the point of serving rather than meaty customers. Um, and then we put another massive lump of garlic butter in the middle of the mash okay. that just sort of melted away as you ate. And so, yeah, it was, there, was, there, there was certainly no great cooking skill in it. There was no great um, level of creativity. It was if I'm honest, a cheap trick that the customers fell for hook, line and sinker. But, you know, I think that's hardly the point because the best food is so often the simple yeah. food. Yeah. Things don't have to be complicated. And I know I bang on about this, but it's true. And this just illustrates that fact. Yeah. But that was the entire point of the smokehouse. The entire menu was, was along the same lines. So what yeah. sorts of things were on there? Well, I think from day one, um, we knew that the smoke, the smoke food push that was occurring in London was starting to flake into Nottingham and it was we you knew that it was going to be a part of the food scene going forward. You knew it would have a little like a crest and then it'd level out. But ultimately um we knew that at some stage somebody big and generic was going to come into Leicester. So we couldn't do uh we couldn't just be Southern American Dolly Parton on the on the in the sound system and all of that we had to go a little bit of a level deeper um, and it's like I really enjoy reds and stuff like that but we knew it couldn't just be that so the minute we made that decision that led to all of the other dishes in the smokehouse so you know we had like the meat section which was relatively certainly started very classic Southern American so you know we started with um, pulled pork brisket the, the St. Louis rib and one of the oh, and then just like a, a half smoked chicken, and then that developed. By the time that we 
do the pop-ups now and by the time that we've finished that's that's changed into um ox shakes that have been smoked with um oysters and oysters and stout we yeah we still do pork pork and stuff like that but it's rare that we have those on as so it's rare that we'd have it on as a, as a main course so we have it on as topping off other things or part of a starter that we that we do um the st louis ribs still keep their place on the menu but the, the, it's, it's all evolved over time and stuff like that so it, the menu is always comprised of you know getting a big plate of meat in the middle of the table and then the rest of it is never designed we never worry about how the rest of the menu pairs together it's always about everybody throwing the, everything in the middle of the table and sort of helping themselves almost like a sort of American style tapas and I think once we've made that decision that opened us up to so many other things so for me I think the key words that we put together after about a month once we really started to figure out what the restaurant was was that it's no longer American food it was always I think yeah whenever it was American Americana it really bothered me a little bit because we made quite a lot of advancements to not be that Mm. soul food I was always pretty happy with but it was good food that happened to have been for a smoker I think with the Americana thing you fall into the trap of people expecting it to be burgers and fries and actually what you're doing with the the rubs and the the smoker Mm. is is something a lot more kind of um, yeah soulful than that I think yeah and you know I think I certainly from from very early on and whilst the marketing for the restaurant had to sort of use some Americana and things like that from quite early well this was even before you were involved yeah whilst the marketing for that had to had to be around those be around those things so that people sort of got an idea of what it was it was a relatively new concept to people anyway even though it was just barbecue food by saying internally in the kitchen it's just good food that happens to have been through a smoker that that just meant instantly that we opened up so many other things so mm. we started to we started to include a lot a lot more influences from um certainly from India and things like that so we used to sort of marinate cauliflower in a tandoori in a tandoori post in a tandoori paste and smoke that and that got used in a load of different ways whether it be in sort of fritters or jambalayas or little bits and pieces like that that start to um expands the menu it, it just opened us up it just meant that eventually once people trusted us enough we didn't need to put on we didn't need to put on a chili anymore hmm. we didn't yeah it didn't need to be hush puppies it didn't need to be things that people would be familiar with that kind of cooking mm. it meant that we could be as creative as we like we're now at the point of the smokehouse where you know yeah we've got a hush puppy on but it's like a little snack that starts the meal and it allows us to do without feeling like we're not sticking true to the concept it allows us to sort of put a barbecue brick from scallop on with um, like smoked sweet corn and garlic gratins things that start to just elevate it a little touch more and things that perhaps people wouldn't necessarily expect but as soon as they get it it sort of makes sense and fits into the into the concept. You certainly you never ordered sort of like your dish at the smokehouse. You you might order your meat. All of the sides and stuff were just thrown in the middle of the table. And because we couldn't do chips, yeah, that led to the mash, but it also led to um, sweet potato pancakes or yeah. Jersey Royals that had been sautéed with peas and mint and things like that that just freshened the whole meal mm. um, and meant that it wasn't this. You didn't necessarily need to leave feeling horrible and dumpy and you've just had carbs and butter thrown thrown down you it, the whole thing could be um, a little lighter and a little bit like I say fresher and more seasonal and that was our way of making sure the restaurant could be busy all through the year rather than as much as barbecue which you associate with the summer it's heavy enough that it really meant that it was a winter menu and we struggled to lighten it um, but yeah it, it was that original letting go of this whole 
Americana thing, and that was we were forced into that. So now that the pop-up smokehouse is back, and you've been doing all sorts of different events, uh, from weddings through to kitchen takeovers mm. and uh, uh, markets, you, I wonder if that's one of the reasons that you felt you've been able to diversify your menu in that way. Yeah, I think, and it's not like the old in the old restaurant we were ever restricted. You know, we had maybe a month where the directors oversaw quite heavily and then after that they just let us to it because it was working um, but I think the, the, just the very nature of pop-ups is that the people who are going are, are far more open-minded and I think if we were a stable restaurant at this stage <laughs> yeah I think if we were a stable restaurant at this stage we would still probably be a little bit more restricted than we than we are with the pop-ups but I think just their very nature means that everybody comes one into one at one a time everybody comes wanting something that they've not seen before and because so many of our every time we do it we do a pop up 75% of the people if not more are a people who have who dined with us back at the old Obar days and or have at least been to one of the other pop ups and as such there is a there is a key maybe 75% of the menu that they, they want to see again and again but they don't want to see the same things each time so it's forced us to sort of rethink it a little bit and because you're only putting it on for one night, every time I have an idea that goes, should we? Yeah, why, why not? Why the hell not? Yeah, like they can still select from the rest of the menu. We run very big menus for pop ups. So they can still select from the rest of it and not spoil their evening. But the guys who do, and every time that we do, it sells out. And that's that went all the way back when we first put on um, like an ox cheek starter at the first. Smokehouse, we were a bit unsure, or pigs their fritters at the first smokehouse, where we were just a little bit not sure if people are going to go for it. But every time it sold out there, and it's and it's transferred all the way through to here. Every time we put something that we think is a bit more interesting or a little bit um, not quite on what would be considered on brand for us, it sells out, and we they almost yeah they almost form whatever it is that we do move on to to permanent sites always forms part of what we're expected to, to put forward then and for me this whole pop-up process is really useful because it just means that by the time that we do progress into that sort of thing our, yeah our customers aren't expecting it to be you know uh, an independent version of one of the one of the uh, one of the large groups it's just a it's, it's just its own restaurant its own right and we just happen to use a smoker rather than yeah really needing to be to be one thing or the other it just means that we can just do whatever we like now and people seem to take to it so I think that's a really good way of looking at it because you're right there is this perception that you know smoked foods are just brisket and ribs and burgers and chips hmm. um, and I have a friend who, who competes and I'm still trying to get him for an interview Ed that's you um, he's an award winning barbecue grandmaster but what? basically you know, he does some amazing stuff and some of the yeah. stuff that he does blows my mind as well because it doesn't sit it's not just this American idea of, of what smoked food is. And I like the fact that yours extends out into, you know, tandoori cauliflower that's been smoked like that it just makes it I think it makes it more of an adventure, doesn't it? And for us I think once you understand the process, so it took a little while for those things to get on it and really working. But I think once you understand the process and understand why the food is taken on a smoke flavour. So as soon as you put put the dry rub on and you know that 
the smoke really is only going in for the first three hours or so. Um, and so you see a lot of people working by three hours in the smoker and the rest can go in an oven or whatever or they don't worry about the, um, uh, the, the smoker actually producing any smoke after that as long as it's producing heat to cook, that's fine. And that's, and that's, and that's fine, but once you sort of transfer that into other, into other food types, so anything with a high water content will take on the, the flavour really well, which is why we, I mean, the very first menu we had a, a smoked tomato and beef dripping dish. And that was, that came entirely through through playing and we realised that the tomatoes have a high water content. Mm. They take on the flavour of the smoke very quickly and very mm. well. Um, and then because it's that high water content all the way through it, it goes all the way through the through the vegetable. And so then you start playing with other vegetables because... Mm, that'd be really nice with courgette. I can just it, see it now. Yeah. I don't know if we were sort of courgettes running through, running through the menu and um, they formed, like I say, parts of jambalayas or mm. uh, smoked vegetable hashes and things like that. So... Once you, once you sort of, like I say, you start to understand it, and the tandoori cauliflower came from, well, if if the water accepts it, would an oil or a fat, or a, so all of a sudden you start playing around with yogurt. And mm. for me, yogurt's a perfect medium, because it just, uh, it accepts the flavour really well, but it mellows everything out mm. nicely and provides that little touch of acidity that, that the whole smokehouse sort of meal needs. Everything in the middle, everything, all the meats are so rich that everything else needs that. So we use it in a few different ways throughout, for different... Um, rubs and marinades and by the time we started on putting on lamb ribs on the new menus and stuff like that and they, they typically we'd, we'd use um, at the minute we're just using madras so we're making madras paste and, and marinated lamb ribs in that and then the, yeah we cook them in the yoghurt and madras paste and it's, and it's great it really works it just starts to mellow and balance everything so once, you start, once we started to understand the process a little better that's where we started to get a lot more a lot more feeling of creativity and a lot more um yeah, like I say, allowing us just to, to, to expand that and go wherever we wanted with it. I love it. Thank you so much, Liam. It's been brilliant talking to you. If you enjoyed Liam's story, you'll probably enjoy some of the other stories that we've released over the last few months. You can find us at atthesource.com or on Twitter at atthesource. And if you could rate us five stars and provide us feedback, that would be really handy so more people can find us. And until next time. Over and out.